Good evening, everybody, and welcome to A Couple With. I hope you've got your brews at the ready. We are here to discuss discuss people's stories from mental health to mindset and everything in between. I've got a lovely rose tea today. It's iced tea because it's far too warm for a warm drink. Um, I have a lovely guest today, and I found this woman on Instagram, and what inspired me the most about it even though she has these amazing videos of doing weights and everything like that and everything and the full story what astounded me was just the video of her doing her daughter's hair that amazed me i loved it because there's always the big things and you've always got the support for the big things but it's the little things that get you through every day that i find the most amazing part of daily life and a person's story so without further ado i'll let her introduce herself Hello, um, my name's Julie Snell, um, known as Ju. Um, I'm 39, so I'm 40 this year. And for the last four years, I've been a left arm amputee. Um, so changed my life quite dramatically, um, but for the better, I think. Well, um, talk us through the story and how... The, how it's all started to change your life and, and, and just how you've been and how you feel for how, how, I'll get my words out in a minute how you, basically just give us that story and how you, it's changed you for the better or whichever okay um, so probably it's probably best to give you my background before I had my accident um, so I worked as a senior manager um, in a very corporate world, um, was a full-time um, employee, had two kids, so was doing the whole working mom, trying to juggle everything, um, would be um, travelling to different destinations through the UK, so I'd often work out in Nottingham, live in Manchester, so I always remember trying to play Beat the Stat Nav when I was <laughs> to try and make sure that I wasn't the person and the parent who was picking up at five past six when the nursery shot at six o'clock. <laughs> um, so yeah, always flying by the seat of my pants. Um, and then one day I got electrocuted, which was um, obviously totally out of the blue, wasn't expected. Um, and that's really when everything kind of changed, really. Um, so I was very, very lucky. Um, the doctors told me that there's two ways it can go when you have an electrocution injury. It can either go to your heart or to your nerves. And luckily for me, it went to my nerves, um, which is why I'm still here today. Um, because of that, it caused massive nerve damage. And I got a condition called CRPS which is complex regional pain syndrome, which is quite rare. Um, although, kind of putting myself out there now, I've, I've been really lucky to find other people with the same conditions and we can kind of chat through that and strategies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it totally changed my life. So I went from being totally independent, um, mm. doing anything that I wanted to do, being, you know, superwoman mom to, you know, doing everything. I was never the one that would ask for help. I would always kind of do it myself. Um, to being housebound, in pain all the time. My youngest at the time was only two. So I couldn't even change a bum or 
and often it just totally just wiped everything away from me. Um, had lots of operations, lots of therapy, um, lots of different medications. I'd be on ketamine, morphine. I was like a walking zombie. Um, and then I got set to senior. Um, and that's when they told me that it was ready to be amputated. So I'd had 12 months of this condition. And to be honest with you, when they told me it was going to be amputated, that is when my life totally changed around and I think if they hadn't have said it I'd have probably gone and done it myself you know you kind of get that 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 desperate I was gonna ask was it um a relief in a way yeah they it's really sad this condition and they also have a nickname for it and it's called the suicide disease because the suicide rate is really high because it feels like limbs can be in burning oil all the time. So there's no release for me. It doesn't get better in the day. It just, for me, it just stayed constant um, to the point where it looked like my arm was dying from the inside out. Um, and it, it was weird. It looked, even though my arm was still intact, it looked like I had a dodgy prosthetic on. My arm looked, looked plastic. It was crazy. And when they told me, yeah, my mum was with me at the time and they just said to me, Mum, you know, have you got a qual- has she got a quality of life? And my mum said no. And they just said, right, we'll take it off, but we don't know if it's going to um, make the condition any better. We don't know if it's going to do anything like that, but what we know is it's going to take a set of semi away and it's either going to be your life or, or you choose to keep your arm. So it was just an obvious choice, really. Yeah. So, yeah. So... That, that's quite um most people would think that the idea of losing a limb would be mortifying rather than a relief how how did you embrace that really um i think for me i think you know your own body don't you yeah. and i knew my own body i knew that it wasn't going to get any better i knew that everything that was what was happening with it was all kind of leading to this path so I could see that before they even told me um so I think and I was living with the pain every day so I think it was quite easy for me to accept it was harder for everybody else so I kind of went into I remember going into overdrive mode and my husband is a graphic designer and I remember saying to him right you need to get a picture of me and you need to photoshop a stump on where we think it might be and we printed this picture off of what we thought it would look like and we showed everybody because mm. we were like right at least they've got a visual of what it could look like um I used to sit down with the kids so I've got now their ages are 16 and 7 but then they were 2 and, and 12 13 um so the two-year-old we used to read stories called amputeddy so it was all about a little teddy bear that had, had an amputation. And um, I remember going through a stage of getting really upset, thinking she'll never know what I was like with two arms, mm. which now when I look back is, is silly, really. It's a silly thing to think, but at the time it was so monumental that she wouldn't remember me. Yeah. Just, it broke my heart. Um, with my eldest one, she was quite receptive to it pre-amputation we sat down with her talked to her had very different conversations because she was older um the challenge was with her was when i 
come home from hospital um, and she didn't deal with it particularly well then. But I kind of went into more overdrive of protecting everybody and making sure that everyone would be all right. I remember on the day of my amputation, I had really bad PTSD. So I used to always have the recurrent dream about dying. Um, And it's not that I... When I went to see psychologists, they told me, because everyone used to always say to me, oh, you're really lucky to be alive, you could have died. I think it got into my head how yeah. close I could have been. Um, and then I used to have this dream about dying, but then I thought it was a premonition of having an amputation. So I remember in the, you know, in the pre-op room with my, my consultant, who was a professor, like begging her to keep me alive. And she was like, where, where does this come from? I wasn't bothered about the amputation. And I just yeah. wanted her to get through the operation. Um, but yeah, it was, it was surreal. It was really surreal. When I had my, um, when I woke up, I had an unbelievable sense of relief. Yeah. It was just, it was crazy. I, I remember, I remember waking up and saying to them, oh my God, I don't feel pain. I don't, I don't feel anything. It's, this is amazing. Um, and then my husband come round because he'd been wet. I think I'd been in theatre for about eight hours. Yeah. Um, and he was, he, the look on his face was just, he was petrified. <laughs> and I remember, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really good. And I said, right, I need to go to the toilet now. And I think everyone around me was a bit like, right, okay, this isn't the usual type of reaction yeah. um, and then I remember going to the toilet and there was another guy in recovery and he was saying oh gosh she's so young to have an amputation and I was like it's okay it's fine you know I've had worse it's fine I'm good at the minute it, it's okay the, the fact um, that you said the line it's alright I've had worse yeah <laughs> it's crazy but I think um they only started realising how bad the CRPS was because it has stages and I went through to stage four really quickly, which is really rare. Yeah. And then after I had my amputation and once everything had worn off, the meds had worn off, the block had worn off, I didn't have any painkillers mm. because it wasn't as painful as what it was before. Mm. So I think it was only then that the like the anaesthetist kept going in saying, you know, you've not got any painkillers now, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. It's not as bad as it was. Yeah. And I think it was only then that the realisation come in of the pain um, that I was in. So, yeah, it was, um, I think that part, ironically, was the easy part. Mm. Um, and then you... Very quickly then, after that, you forget what it was like to be in so much pain and that becomes your normal. Yeah. And then I remember getting up one day and looking at myself in the mirror thinking, oh my God, half my arm's gone. And I just went to rock bottom then. Mm. Uh, that, but that was more psychologically. So once you deal with the immediate stuff, everything else filtered through. Yes. Yeah, so I was definitely in the moment of any kind of psychology. And I was lucky I was picked up from psycho- with psychologists right from the beginning. So the kind of first 12 months was just purely around, I used to talk about the fact that I'd lost my independence and I really struggled with that. 
and they used to call it the independent purse and they used to say you know when when you are so independent and then you go to being so um reliant on everybody it hits you like a ton of bricks and um, you know i had to leave work that wasn't my choice it was taken from me yes. uh, so everything that i felt like i built up just suddenly everything come crashing around you know beside me I couldn't look after the kids the way I wanted to I felt like I was failing as a wife because I wasn't being the wife that I could have been um so that got in my head a lot I felt like I was failing in in practically everything that I was doing and also trying to understand how to deal with pain so I didn't even touch on how it had happened I didn't touch on the reality of what it meant. I was just very much dealing in the moment. And then when I had my amputation, I then got picked up by a different psychologist who was based at the amputee clinic. And that's about losing your arm, losing a limb. Yeah. So you talk through the feelings around that. Um, and it was only until 12 months after that, I went to see a third psychologist who kind of wrapped everything up for me and it was at that moment that I really started to recover and I could see what was happening I could understand PTSD a lot more Mm. Um, I I genuinely thought and I have so much respect for anybody that's going through mental health and PTSD because you genuinely feel like you are losing your mind I felt like I was going insane because I didn't understand what was happening to me and and I'm lucky that I've been picked up with psychologists where now I understand, I understand totally what's happening. Yeah. And that's hopefully where I can help people in the future. Do you feel like it was like you had to go through a mourning process? It's like the whole mourning the loss of not just uh, your limb, but a life. Yes. Of what it was before. Yeah, you definitely, you are mourning the person that you were. Because it categorically, uh, you know, people can say it it won't change you. It totally changes you in every single way. Physically, mentally, your outlook, everything changes. Um, So I felt like I was mourning the person that I was. And just little things like, as a woman, you have your ways of doing things, don't you? So I remember... um, when I used to go to work, I used to get like dressed, I used to go very tailored in suit, high heels. And that was me in work mode, and I was totally comfortable in that, totally confident in it. And I remember saying to Mike, I don't know how I don't know what I'm supposed to dress like. What what do I get dressed in? I'm just sat at home, what what do I wear? Mm. And he was like, well, you just wear it. And he looked at me as if I was like, I had seven heads. And he was like, well, just wear what you want to wear. Well, to me, it was a Monday afternoon. And I'd be in my suits now. And then I went through a process of, of wearing them in the house. And I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. This is like just not doing me any good at all. But I think I had to go through that mourning period. Mm. And it took me about 12 months before... I took more to charity because I couldn't do it. Because I felt like once I did that, that person had totally gone. 
it's what it's getting to that point of admitting you're not that person anymore yeah and i ironically now i can say hand on heart you know and, and, and this hasn't been an easy ride in any stretch of the imagination but hand on heart this has been the best thing that's ever happened to me now you say this and i actually hear this a lot from a lot of people who've been through this uh, well not in your situation in general but a massive change and a mourning of who they were and who they are now yeah and they say that it's the first thing they say is it's the best thing that could have happened to me and a lot of people would be like, eh? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, you've, you've, lost like you've lost a You've uh, lost your life. you lost, like, your, as you said, your independence. And I've seen it in many cases where people have been in office, had office jobs, been high earners, been above, above and beyond in the career they were before. But the life that they have now is yeah. something that they wouldn't give up for in the world they yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't give it up for a second to be back to where they were yeah how has it become that version for you uh, a really monumental comment and it was just a, a comment that my mum made to me and it was when i was still going through that grieving pe- um, phase and she looked at me and I had a company car outside, which was a really nice company car that was parked outside. And she looked and she went, Jilly, you're killing yourself. And I know you want to be, I used to always say that I wanted to be a role model for the girls. And, and I still very much do want to be like that, just in a different way now. And she go, you know, yeah, you work really hard. You've got a really nice company car out there. But you know what? Next week that's being taken away because you can't drive it anymore. And just with that comment I thought holy shit oh my god right yeah that just kind of puts everything into perspective and I think what it does is a very very cruel lesson in life Mm. so I think it's that way you hit rock bottom you don't know where to turn but then you actually look at the things that you've got around you and you look at what's important and then you start reflecting on the life that you had so I used to think god all those times when you know I'd be absolutely stressing out on the M6 because I'd be trying to get home to nursery for pick up and you know then you you come home and everything's all around oh I've not done this today I've not done that today so you put the kids in bed and then you start working again and it just makes you think actually who, who are you doing that for because you know I've learned the harsh way that you are not, you are replaceable within an instant in a workplace. You know, you go, somebody else goes in, and and that's fact. That's what happens. So I can say to anybody who's absolutely, you know, stressing out to the hills over work and just take a little bit of a step back and reflect. Just reflect on what, kind of whirlwind you're in because sometimes you are in a whirlwind and this is a very extreme way of getting out of that whirlwind but you can make little steps yourself um to do that and i think i understand a different perspective of life now i look at things differently things don't stress me out as much as what you know the little things don't stress me out like what they used to when um 
I, I try and talk to the kids about conversations that I'd never thought I would have with them. So like adversity, disabilities, talking about mindset. You know, my daughter's going through GCSEs at the minute and I'd make sure she's got a calm app on her phone and she does meditation Yeah. just to try and get her to zone in that way. Yeah, my, my daughter's going through a GCSEs too, so I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just it's just different. It's different. See, this is the thing. I'm just going to take part of what you said because you said about being a role model. You always wanted to be a role model to show your daughter you could like you could do anything. But you was the old you was doing it as a role model, but stressing out for hours on a motorway. Yeah. Making sure you were home. And then they would see mummy stressed and like, come on, we'll get sorted out. And then straight away, you'd boss her in bed. You go, you go straight. So you'd be continuing that. And it's, it's really funny how we think that being a role model is by having these great things and showing them, like, like you said, the company car and the suits and everything like that. And I don't know, I, I have a, a boy and a girl, but I've noticed from a mum to a daughter, there is that, you feel like you need to be constantly showing the strength, the strong, the, and and like, come on girls, we, we, we're kind of, we're in this together, we've, we've got extras that some men don't have to deal with. Um, and all the but we want our girls to be independent and not have to rely on others. But we get so caught up in the, well, what does independent mean? Yes. And then it's, you have this massive change, and I've had personal massive changes myself. And you have a massive change, like, they could have everything in the world. It doesn't mean to say they're going to be set for life. How, how they're set up on, 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 like you say, mindset is very much important. And I think, to be fair, you can have nothing, but if you teach them the right values and, and morals and, you know, how to be confident within themselves, you've already taught them everything they need. And that's the thing, isn't it, that, you know, I was very guilty of looking back, is that I wanted to show them that you can be an independent woman, you can have a career, but probably didn't talk to them about the things that actually I believe now truly matter. So like mindset, like you said, like having self-worth, self-respect, the most important thing that I want to teach them is that actually life happens and life can be crap sometimes, but you know what? You can come out of whatever whatever life throws at you and you can be absolutely rock bottom, I hope I've showed them yeah. that you can go from rock bottom and come out a different side and have a different outlook and a different perspective. And, you know, life isn't tough and I think we need to... Sometimes we kind of protect our kids too much, don't we, by trying to shadow them from everything and we block everything away from them because you want to keep them in this lovely, innocent world. But sometimes, you know, when things happen, I couldn't go from anywhere. I couldn't hide this from them. So they, as well as my husband, had to face this head on with me. There was no getting away from it. So we've all kind of had to take this journey together. And there's been times when... I thought, oh God, as a family, are we going to get through it? 
because it was so stressful. It was so much of a different, you know, change in direction. But individually, we've all found our own way. And as a result of that, we've probably come together when we're in a stronger place. But I can understand how, you know, people say it can either make you or break you. Yeah. And in, in relationships, I can totally get get that especially when you go as a woman and, and you you're going into the kind of this world of, of Limlock so I remember saying to Mike you know I don't think when you met me you would have gone out with me if I had one arm and you would look at me and go you you just you're crazy for saying that and I was like yeah but I don't think you would and I'd be very matter of fact and he'd be like how can you say this to me and I'd be like you know it's all right if you want to go now that's fine yeah. I'll, I'll still love you, you know, we'll still be friends. And honestly, I remember the conversation with the learner, I remember him looking at me going, what are you doing? And I think looking back, that was probably my safety. I was kind of trying to protect myself yeah. really um, from something happening. Um, but it's taken a lot to get to the point now where I feel like the first thing that I'm, when I walk in the room, it isn't my, my stump. That's not the first thing that I think about now. Yeah. And that's quite a big, a big thing because, you know, you, you get, you get stares and you get people commenting and I think it's just human behaviour sometimes that people can be curious, people can be rude with anything. Oh, um, I'm going to ask you this one because I've, I've never had the chance to ask anybody who's an amputee. Um, yeah. My my son is autistic. And okay. He's one of those people, one of those kids as well that will point out the obvious. Now, yeah. a lot of people, and he has um, shouted a fair bit. I say he's autistic, so he hasn't got any filter anyway. But how, when kids approach you in that manner? how do you manage it because i've with my son i've come across a lot of hostility right okay. to explain he's autistic he's, he's not trying to be mean or anything like that but how have you managed the approach of of because of, a lot i find a lot of people are guarded so i was wondering your approach of it um i find that kids are amazing because they will say it as it is and I love it they will just ask the question outright why have you got no arm mm-hmm. I remember the first time that I went into like a wacky warehouse with um LV once it had been amputated and at that point I was dead set on wearing a prosthetic and it was really hurting so I had to take it off mm-hmm. and about three kids come up and went you've got no arm and I was like I know mm-hmm. and they went well why have you got no arm and it was just it was breathtakingly innocent and honest and direct mm. and it's amazing so I talked to them about it and I told them and I said do you want to squish it do you want to touch it what do you want to do have you got have you got any questions to ask me and then it's done once you've yeah. said that it's done you don't think of it the people that I find the most difficult are adults which is ironic because as adults you should have that basic <laughs> understanding but um, I've been called a freak by adults yeah. um, I remember when I first had it done and it was in bandages and I just wanted some air I went to the shop and um, 
I was walking on one side of the road and her husband and wife were walking on the same side of the road and the wife grabbed the husband and, and took him to the other side of the road. And she was going, oh, oh, did you see that? Did you see her arm? And I was like, I, I've just had my arm. It's clear what I've had done, you know, come on. Um, oh, thank you. Sorry, so yeah, it that was that was a tough time. And just people are really quick to judge. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found. So simple things like I go to the bank um, and I couldn't you, you, this there's little things that you think would be really easy that actually turn out to be quite tough. So just something as simple as putting your, getting your, di- um, your debit cards out of your purse, yeah. you know, the wallet. It's really tricky sometimes to do that with one hand. And I remember um, putting it under the, the what my purse under the um, thing at the bank and saying to the cashier, oh, would you mind getting my, my card out for me? I can't get it out. Which... As an adult, you think, right, okay, this isn't this isn't your everyday thing. Yeah. No, you know, that doesn't happen every day. And she just looked at me and she went, hmm, have you had your nails done then? And I went, no, I've got one out. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, but, I mean, that's, you know, and then I get the other end of the spectrum where people are just um, really understanding about it. People will ask questions. And then you'll get people who find it really difficult and will avoid you. So that's been tricky to deal with. And these are people who can be family members, friends, and they just do not know how to deal with it, so they just avoid it. Mm. Um, and that that takes a little bit of getting used to, but then you've got to understand that that's not it's not directly at me. It's just that person's not dealing with it very well, and when they will start to deal with it, they'll they'll kind of come forward really mm. um, I think I think probably the most powerful message of that is people will be people Yeah, they're going to react in any way that they see fit and you can't control it and you can't stop it what I've found is, is mentally if I'm not in a good place with it mm. and I go out I will see everybody looking yeah. if I'm in a good place and I'm not bothered I've seen over it. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously nothing in comparison, but I think that's in everything when we feel self-conscious about something. Yeah. It's the first thing we like, people are obviously looking at it because I'm thinking about it. So they're thinking about it. And I can, most of the time, people don't care as such. They're just too busy going on with their day-to-day business. But yeah. it is, it's one of those, once you, you're thinking about it, you feel everybody else is thinking about it. It's, it, and it, it is right, and I think people will, I think you've got to take the personal bit out of it, and you've got to stop making it about, it's right to stop making it about me, it's not about me, it's the fact that not many people have seen somebody with a stump, it's, you know, as much as there's an awful lot of amputees out there, and I think the, um, military and the ex-military guys have made such a massive impact the Invictus Games oh my god it's amazing but you know in everyday life people don't see it so Mm. people are going to look you know we went to Greece um, 
last week we come back and it's funny because when you go to some you know little greek villages everybody will look and i'll say to michael i'm i'm I've been the only amputee that's been in this village because it's like it's like it's nothing that they've never seen before. Mm. And I think as long as you get to a point where in yourself you're you're fairly strong to to deal with that, then it just becomes part of life. I'm gonna have to ask you because it keeps me. Have you ever been tempted to tell a kid a crocodile at it? <laughs> you know when um, when it's Halloween, I always say to Mike, I'm desperate to like make it all gory and have like blood spraying out of it. Oh, yes. And I just said to him, I can't do it yet. If it, if I ever get invited to an adult party, that is what I'll do. But I think it might be a bit much for the kids. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I might give a few kids a few nightmares there. But I will get to do that. I oh. will do it at some point. Oh, I, 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 I'm not going to lie, I'd be tempted to say the crock out of uh, Peter Pan took it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, kids are eggs. Kids, kids have this unbelievable way of of just saying things how it is, and I love it. I'd, I'd talk to kids about it all day. Yeah. It's shame, isn't it, that people grow up and kind of lose, they lose that... Um, fearlessness of just asking a question outright. I think it's because it comes from such an innocent place. They're not yeah. doing any harm. It's just like, I'm curious. What's wrong yeah. with being curious? And um, the little one, she moved schools last year. So in my head, I was thinking, all right, okay, new group of people. It will, again, the same situation really i'll be the only person with a with a stump there yeah. um, and she'll just come home and go such a body was asking um why have you got no arm and i've told them because you've got a stump and and that's it that's as far as it goes once you've given them an answer that's it like yeah. she's like you know how dare you question that mum's got a stump she's just got a stump and then i think wow you know four years ago I was absolutely freaking out like she wouldn't recognise me with two arms and now it's just she doesn't even think anything different just mum yeah totally totally so since all of this how have you pursued better endeavours should I say okay um, so I think I think it's really important to note that after my amputation I did hit rock bottom yeah. um, and didn't want to leave the house and um, would went through a stage of not eating and then went through a stage of secret eating mm. which then resulted in me putting three stone on and then hating myself even more so then a secret and ate chocolate yeah. even more which is ridiculous and I think looking back at that I think that was very much a indirect self-harming I felt like I wanted to punish myself because I didn't like what I saw yeah um, and then kind of again you know was was still with psychologists then so we'll talk through um, about that dealt with the PTSD um, and understanding that actually I had to get no matter what was going on physically unless I got my mental health in a healthier place I was never ever ever going to recover I wasn't going to get any better couldn't do anything good because mentally I was so fragile yeah. and 
what happened with that because I was in such a fragile state and because my senses were heightened so much I started having fits and so they they thought it was epilepsy so basically what they said to me was when I was electrocuted it caused a software problem in my brain and they think it might have caused epilepsy. So I had brain scans and there wasn't anything showing which they would do normally. Um, so I went to see a guy in Edinburgh who was a neurosurgeon and he diagnosed me with something called disassociation seizures. Okay. And basically what that is, is where your body has been put under so much stress, can't deal with it anymore. It's a way to stop the anxiety and the stress and everything that happens with your body, the panic attacks and the blood pressure and the, you know, the heart beating fast, would be stop. So it would shut down and I would fit and then I would come round from that. So I'd either either, um, have convulsions Mm. or I'd stare and I'd have no recollection of anybody being there only the fact that I would be in an absolute panic when I woke up from it um, so with that I lost my driving licence because obviously I was having fits and yeah. um, so I had to surrender that which was just a nightmare because my little bit of independence that I kind of worked up then yeah. totally got taken back um, and I found myself feeling more vulnerable and probably more reflective on how fragile life could be because I felt like I was getting somewhere and then it's kind of a step back and then a step back again and um and then I dealt with psychologists um about the disassociation seizures so we did rapid eye movement therapy um lots of meditation and understanding that actually the PTSD was causing the seizures Mm. Um, and I had to really deal with that and put in a box that I wasn't going to die and I had to believe myself that I wasn't going to die so when I would look at a plug I would feel the electrocution in my face I would smell burning in my my hand and I used to put my arm in front of people and say can you smell my arm burning because it smelled like burning flesh and the girl would be looking at me going no and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going insane, that's it, you know, something's happening to me. But it was only from, you know, learning about this that it's actually PTSD and, and that's what it, it can do to you. You know, it can take you straight back to that incident, take, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, for me, it was it was being electrocuted, so I get all the sensations, all the smells, yeah. every feeling that I had with it. Um and it was only when I got the seizures, again, ironically, looking back, that I realised that I thought I was dealing with it, but I wasn't, because clearly I wasn't, because I was having seizures, because my body couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, and then I kind of made the decision then that everything that I was trying to do was going to stop, um, and I was just going to focus on working with a psychologist to get me mentally better and staying at home with my family because at that point that's where I felt safe yeah and then I would take little steps so I wouldn't I had to stop reflecting on the person that I wanted to be or the person that I was and I had to say to myself do you know what today you're going to start afresh and today you're just going to be you and whatever that day may bring that's what that's what it's going to bring 
you know, you're not going to make any plans, you're just going to take today as it is. And that was possibly the biggest turning point for me. Another big turning point, which is quite, um, you know, not many people may agree with, um, is coming off all the meds. Um, and that's the pain medication that I was on, the nerve tablets that I was on. And I was on a lot, a lot of stuff. It just messed with my head. And I knew that if I carried on taking these medications and I was going to have the side effects that I was going to have, I'd never truly yeah. get any better because it was always masking a problem. Yeah. Um, so I come off everything and the pain wasn't any worse, it wasn't any better. But in my head, I felt mentally strong and less hazy and less paranoid that I could actually think, right, today, this is how it is. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to eat healthily. Yeah. I took more of a holistic approach. And that coupled with the psychologist, it was like something clicked in my brain. You and I think, yeah, I think after like four and a half years, something actually clicked to say hang on a minute I understand this now and I think when you understand what's happening in your head mm. that's when you move forward yeah there's a there is a lot to do with the whole whether or not medication helps or doesn't help uh, when it comes to mental health I'd like to say to my listeners I'm, I'm all whatever works for you works for you everybody is individual so if medication works for you great if it doesn't great do what works for you as an individual we're just speaking about one experience there is plenty of different experiences about it yeah I totally agree everything has got to be based on you what you're feeling you know your body and a great example of, of that is I knew my arm was going to be amputated before they told me because I, I knew my body I could you know you can see what's happening and I think the biggest indicator for me now on anything is my gut my body my brain and that's what I'll try and home into before I do anything now before I make any decisions I'll look and that's something that I probably didn't do before. I'd be very reactive. I was just about to ask you that. Are you more in tune with your body now than what you was before? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I've proven that, you know, myself by the cycles that I've been in. Yeah. So, you know, I've not, you know, I openly admit that I've never had a great relationship with food. So I've, I've always been really self-conscious. I've always lacked in self-esteem. And it's ironic now because when I when my arms amputated, um, I wanted to make my body perfect to compensate for my arm not being there and looking so hideous. So in my head, I had this very, very clear thing of what it needed to be. So then people wouldn't look at my stump then. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy, it's a crazy thought process. Um, so then I went through not eating, lost loads of weight. Yeah. Then I went to the totally end of the spectrum, which is when I was having fits and I couldn't drive anywhere. I couldn't go to the gym. I was just eating because I wanted to harm myself. And then I'd look on the scales and I'd cry. And I'd be like, oh, put a stone half on now, I'll go and eat a Mars bar. It's 
it's you know that it's like a whole circle of of self harm in a different way to you know cutting yourself or something more obvious. It's it's, it's very it's self harm, but in a way that nobody would notice. Yes, yeah, and I think again when you when you come to a point where you look at your own mind and body and you can see what you're doing to yourself, it's only then that you can start making changes. Um, and anyone that's seen my Instagram page will know that I I help myself a lot by going to the gym, um, by keeping healthy. But that doesn't solve the problem. And I think that's a really important message to put out there. You know, people will say, oh, you've got depression, go to the gym. That's not going to solve the problem. That's going to make you feel better about yourself yeah. because it, you know, it releases endorphins. It's good for you and it gives you a goal, something that you can achieve. Mm. It isn't gonna. It's not going to solve the fact that you've got depression. No. You know, it's it's just that that's what you need to deal with before you do anything that kind of makes you feel good. It can help alongside it, but it isn't going to cure anything. Yeah, I, I can agree wholeheartedly. Like. I have my own like mental health issues and I go to the gym and a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to the gym, I bet you feel terrific. It's like, well, no, I, yes, but if I wasn't working on myself at the same time, then I would be in the same pattern of just eating and then working out to punish myself for probably overeating. Exactly. It's one of those where, because I've decided to have a dry year, so no alcohol for the year, and that was my way of working on myself. Yeah. So. Really Yeah. So, so I thought like, going to the I now go to the gym, but I did it in levels and layers. And I think it's like you say when you listen to yourself and listen to your body, work on not just your body because you can go to the gym these people sometimes you see them incredibly fit and i've seen some people with muscles that you wouldn't believe yeah but they haven't worked on themselves yes and if they haven't done that you can be the rich most stunning person ever on this planet but inside you're still what you were before exactly it's, it's really funny because I went on um, with my friend, we went to see the Speakmans last weekend. Um, it was, you know, and they, they talk about um, schema conditioning and they say, you know, so for example, if someone's got a fear of flying, so my husband hates flying, went on a fear of flying course but still has the anxiety now when he gets on a plane. And it's because they've touched the surface on showing them, they, you know, they've showed him what happens with turbulence, what a plane's capacity is. Mm. But they've not scratched, they've not got to the root cause of why it's happening. And until you get to the root cause with anything of why something's happening, it's never going to go away. No. Because you've not actually got to the crux of, of what is there. And you can hide it and, and you know, in, in many different ways. Or go and see therapists, but until somebody talks to you about the reason why it's originated and, and what that crux is, it, it's never going to go away. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And when, oh, when we see them, you know, they talked about you, you, you are a product of your environment and it's really, it, it's really ironic that you know, as babies, we don't have anything, we don't have any 
you know, a baby doesn't have any psychological issues, behavioural issues. It's just, it is what it is. It's a product of its environment and 60% of it is learned behaviour. Um, and then, and obviously, as you, as you become an adult, then you have your own ways and means of dealing with things. Um, but it, it, it is, it's ironic that, you know, we went on that and it is the same thing that I've, be, I've found out that unless you get to the crux of everything that's happening mentally, physically, you're never going to be able to get any better. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And anybody who's listening to this, I'm going to say this wholeheartedly. If there is something that you are not comfortable with, within yourself, that's the first place to start. Absolutely. It's the hardest, Yeah. it's the first place to start. Because even it could be, that for my case, it was the removal of alcohol. Um, and my was because I used it as a habit to numb myself out of like I, I didn't have a drinking problem as such but it was just such a my own habit of being able to go oh it's alright I'm going to chill with a drink I'm just going to you know end, end of the week you have a bottle of wine and stuff like that not even thinking about it and um, it wasn't until I went to the deep cause of like removing that and going oh well, look at this I've got to deal with all this underneath and once we've dealt with the coping mechanisms, like with you, you'd got to the point, it sounds like you've got to the point where you've been able to build a little bit of confidence with being able to drive and, and, and then when that, those many coping mechanisms were t- taken away, that was when you had to go, right, well, cans open, worms everywhere, we might as well just do it. was it was um it was definitely I think that was my lowest point so out of everything which was ironic out of having the CRPS mm. out of having the amputation it was the moment of having fits which is when you look at probably the three of them together that's probably the least thing that you would think would be on the scale of what you've coped with that's when I just felt like I totally lost it, fell apart. It's, it's okay. But that's the thing is, I, I always find that people say, oh, it's the big things, and it's really not. It's the little things. I mean, obviously, fits are not little, but in, like you say, in comparison, they were the smaller smaller issues. Yeah, and, and I also think it's the small things that help you build back up as well. Yeah. Uh, what were your small things to help you build back up? I think um, I think it was removing the pressure from myself. Yeah. Um, and I was always told that I was being too hard on myself at every point in my recovery. So I always wanted to make sure that I was exceeding everything. I always wanted to make sure that I was the best at everything. Mm. Um, and looking back I think it's because inside I felt like I was failing so much I just put my expectations on myself were through the roof yeah. and I weren't getting them I then beat myself up even more and it's like right why are you doing this to yourself because actually a lot of the stuff that you're doing is really good <laughs> um, a lot of the stuff that you're doing is really good you've just got to um, give yourself a bit of a break 
and that's the thing it is just giving yourself um, time to adapt um, I used to and when I got comfortable with doing that stupid things like you talked about before when you saw the picture of me and Ella Boo and I was doing hair um, another thing that people don't see shaving under your armpits so as a woman a necessity with one hand a freaking nightmare it's just it can be the most complicated thing um, putting your own bobble up in your hair so I'm good with Boo I've kind of sorted that out but with me it's it's just really tricky Oi, to do and it's taken me probably um about four years to perfect that well, yeah, well, um and it's it's not getting frustrated yeah. with yourself so it's not getting um it's not getting frustrated with yourself. It's giving yourself the time. I'm sorry. It's okay. I've got a whole family. My daughter's in the in the studio now with me, and she's trying to get some paper. And she's trying to get out of the studio. Now. She's just being nosy. She's like, why is mommy talking about all these things for so long? And um, and I think I think probably the biggest lesson um, that I would say to anybody and the biggest lesson that I've taken to myself is to set yourself once you're in a position where you can you can kind of overcome the initial shock, the initial stress set yourself goals but make sure they're little goals that you can achieve so I remember saying to myself, right, okay, today I want to go back into a gym environment. I threw up in a bin on the way of going to the gym. Um, I was crying mm. in the in the changing rooms. But then I realised that actually, if I didn't do it, I was never going to do it. So I had to put myself yeah. through that to then come out of it and think, actually, I did that. And do you know what? It really wasn't that bad. It, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't a bad thing. And from then, you build on that. So it's like, right, okay, so I'm going to go into the gym today. Right, brilliant, I've done that. So tomorrow, I'm going to go and try something that I've not done before. Mm. One arm. And then it kind of progressed from that, saying, right, okay, now I'm going to get myself a PT. And help me with some of the things that I could do before, but now I can't, so I need to find a different way of doing it. And through those stages now, you know, just the gym as an example, I'm at a point where I can probably do more than what your able-bodied person can do at the gym. Mm. But that's through determination. It's through every time I've had a knockback, and I've had many knockbacks, you just get up, pick yourself up, start again. Um, and you, you're using whatever you've learned from the last time something went wrong. You, you're learning from it and you're thinking about, okay, not that it's not going to go wrong again, but I've got a different strategy yeah. in how to deal with that. Um, you know, little things at home, like how to um, do buttons, do zips, 
you know, it's taken so much practice to do those things. How to put a pair of spanks on with one arm. Oh. I would challenge any woman to try and put a pair of spanks on with one arm. put them on with two, let alone with one. <laughs> so many times where I've, like, chucked myself on the bed like a dead fish, trying to put myself, put them up. And it's taken about 12 months to do it, but, you know, that's another thing now that I can do, and I'll just do it a different way, and that's okay. Doing things a different way is okay. I think that, you know what, I'm actually, I like that one. Doing things a different way is okay. I like that one. It it is, and I think we're so hard on ourselves. And I think sometimes, especially us girls, we reflect too much on the past, Mm -hmm. on even what we've been like, what's happened to us. Um, It's... We do that. It's inherent in us that we do that. We look back too much, and I think if any if anybody can try to just change that mindset a little bit to look at the person that you are today, what is it that you want to improve on? What is it that you think is really good about yourself? It's okay to say that you feel like you're doing well in something. Yeah. How many times people give us a compliment and you'll go, "Oh, don't be daft." Yeah. Oh, my hair looks okay today. Well, I don't know why because I've not washed it in three days. <laughs> yeah. You're just missing it before you even, you know, if, if if anyone gives you a compliment, just say thank you. Yeah, the, the thing is, I got told when, when I saw a psychologist, one of the best things I ever said was each day look in the mirror and say something you like about yourself. Yeah. And that really helped me so if that helps somebody else go for it it's an amazing technique yes they call it as well um, positive affirmations so i know one thing that i took from this course at weekend was before you get up in the morning it's just spend 10 minutes saying to yourself what you're thankful for and i found it really hard actually i thought right okay so this was sunday morning i got up and i was like right, i'm gonna do this and i got like on three things and i was like oh what shall i have for breakfast what shall I? and you kind of your mind wanders which is totally normal you just go back to it and just and you'll find yourself it, it just makes you feel better yeah once you once you realize what you're grateful for it's hard yeah. to to think of anything you're not because yeah. you're, so, you're so focused on the good I, I tend to do that sometimes before I go to bed because it yeah. helps me ease into a better sleep um, but a gratitude list like I don't know anybody who isn't living their fullest life that doesn't at least once a day go through several things they're grateful for yeah absolutely and you know you could be at that point in your life where you think actually I'm at a turning point things need to change you might not be happy with your situation that you're in, but there will always be things that are good. Yeah. You know, there'll always be things to be grateful for, and sometimes it's it's just keeping hold of those things, and inevitably those things will get you through, get you through the bad. Yep. Well, we are coming to an end, and this has been a great conversation. So before I ask my final question, when do people find you? Sorry. I said, before I come to my final question, where can people come and find you and see what you're up to? Okay, so I'm on Instagram. My Instagram name is Blog of Boo. 
um, and I'm on Facebook as Juice Now. Um, a lot of the things that I do at the minute is actually on Instagram. I, I tend not to use Facebook that much now. Um, and it's just really to show kind of the things that I do in life, things that I'm up to at the gym, um, things that my family do. I'll put some, um, you know, things on that I've learned. And really, just to, you know, I, I always said to myself that I wish that I had somebody to look at when I was going through this. And if I can help anybody with whatever mental, physical need, mindset, then everything that I've gone through is, is, has been for good. They always say your biggest pain is your biggest power. Yes, absolutely. So... Honestly, go check out the Instagram. I'm going to put all the links on when I do, when I post it. Honestly, this woman's a warrior. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, she's putting me to shame. <laughs> but, <laughs> but final question, and I ask this to everybody at the end, is um, you're about to meet somebody who's gone through everything, who's about to go through everything that you've gone through. You're not allowed to tell them anything. Not a, not, not, a, not a single thing. All you can do is give them three pieces of advice. Oh. Don't give up. Love yourself for who you are. to all three of those things because to be fair through the same situation or just day-to-day -day life they just got a piece of, of, of advice yeah do you know what i i say this to a lot of people actually and i 100 percent wholeheartedly believe it your physical body can deal with almost anything mm. it's your mind yep Mind. And it's your mind that you that people tend to need to work on because our bodies physically are amazing tools and it's amazing what they can be pushed to the absolute limits and can and are able to get through it. Yeah. It's whether your mind's there. So if you can get your mind and get whatever help you need, whether it's through psychologists friends, family, or just reaching out and, and telling somebody that you're struggling, your physical body will come through everything else. Oh, well, that's an amazing point to end on. So, um, for all my listeners, if you want to subscribe, I'm on uh, iTunes, Anchor, everything. You can find me. I appreciate this. And if anybody wants to share their story, they're welcome to join in. Thank you so much for doing this. It's, it's Every conversation I have with people always sticks with me. Every guest always, something always stays. And I'm definitely going to be on the, it's, if do it a different way and it'll be okay. That's definitely going to stick with me. And also I'm going to say, with the, uh, be, be grateful for who you are now. And 
reflects yes. into who you are now because that's who you were the past is never the past is the past you are who you are now the past is the past and you can't change it whether you've messed up other people have messed up whether accidents have happened people have passed away life is going to throw at you what it's going to throw at you and you can't do a thing about it but what you can do is deal with now and you and and the here and now and it's just so true when people say that well again thank you it's been amazing and i'm going to say good day good brew if you like this episode and want to listen to more, I have over 60 episodes of A Cuppa With and they go from me talking on my own about subjects and stories of my life to others and some people I've spoken to have incredible, incredible stories and that's what it's all about, talking about people's stories over a cup of tea and having those open conversations. So like I say, if you like, share, subscribe rate that's all appreciated and thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to us